You talking to me? Here looks like you boys have seen a lot of action. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Hello and welcome to The Movie Show, the show where we talk all about cinema and what's going on in the news. I'm David Roberts and I'm joined by my friend and colleague Greg Fisher. Greg, how are you doing? All right, thanks Dave. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much. Excellent. Excited to get into it this week? Absolutely. Raring to go. Let's get rolling. We kick things off with What Have You Been Watching, where we talk, discuss, and analyse some of the films we've been talking into this week. So, Greg, what have you been watching? I watched a really interesting film, actually. It's from the 1920s. I think it was 1922. It's a Swedish film called Haxan, which translates to The Witch, which is um, not to be confused with the modern Robert Eggers film, The Witch. Um, That wasn't a remake of this. This is like a pseudo-documentary. I think the guy's name is Benjamin Christensen, a Swedish filmmaker of the time. Obviously, it's very early stuff. Um, And it's like a a pseudo-documentary talking about witchcraft and mysticism and, you know, the human relationship with darkness and with with all these different superstitions. And anyway, um, it's really, really interesting. Some of the... uh, some of the set design and, and the costumes are, are incredible, really, because you've got demons and witches and all these different things being um, shown in the film. And, and considering it was 19, 1922, it, it's quite incredible. Um, some of the uh, visuals that you see on screen uh, caught my attention on Twitter, actually. Somebody posted a short clip of it, and I thought, what's that? Because I thought it was quite modern. Uh, I looked into it and found out, you know, it's like made in the twenties, and and the whole film's actually on YouTube. Um, oh, right. We could put a link to it at the bottom here uh, so people can access it because uh, there's a really good copy of it on YouTube. Yeah, I think it was remastered by the uh, Swedish Film Board and uh, given a really nice print and copy, so that's there for people to see. Um, anybody with an interest in horror or witchcraft or that kind of, you know that horror genre would be interested to see this film. What about you, mate? What have you been watching? Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested to see that film, actually. Now I know it's on YouTube. I think it's definitely one to tuck into. Um, I actually caught up with a film called Game Night um, that came out a couple of years ago, um, which I hadn't around to see, but a few people had recommended it and said, oh, it's a really great film. Um, a bit sceptical of that because it just seemed like a standard uh, kind of comedy film to me. But... Um, Really surprised by it. Really, really great film, actually, um, considering, you know, it's just a kind of, it's a comedy film for general audiences kind of thing. Um, it's kind of a loaded dark comedy. It's got a good cast in there, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams, um, and a great turn from Michael C. Hall, which people will know from Dexter, of course. Um, he plays the Bulgarian. Um, actually, I think the best character in the film, though, is this guy, Gary. Um, he's played by uh, Jesse Plemons. Um, it just plays this really strange police officer who's like the neighbour who wants to be involved in game nights but they kind of shun him and you kind of feel sorry for him throughout but he he plays it brilliantly Um, but yeah it's a great film better than the average comedy uh, the kind of premise is that um, it's this couple um, Max and Annie who are fanatical about games and really ultra competitive Uh, Max's brother comes back into town um, who you know, there's a sibling rivalry going on, 
and uh, he decides he wants to host game nights, but decides to, to go the extra mile and hire a, an external company to kind of run this role play where he gets kidnapped and they've got to work out the clues to find him. Um, it actually reminded me of the game, which we talked about uh, in our previous podcast the other week, yeah, uh, sure. which you can find on our website. Uh, but obviously this is a lot more lighthearted than that, but it's a similar concept. Cool. But what surprised me about it was it, how well shot it was. Yeah. Um, they've done some really interesting choices in the cinematography. Uh, Barry Peterson was the cinematographer on it, and they've done um, a lot of tilt shift photography, oh, yeah. which people might know as a toy effect, yeah. um, where you obviously create this depth of field, and what's in the middle is really sharp, what's on the up and lower fields is uh, really blurred out to create this kind of. You know, as if you look at a game board like Monopoly or something, so the houses look like little pieces or something. Yeah. Um, and there was a really visually striking scene where these um, villains were trying to break into this room and they were hitting the lock, like the internal lock on the door. Um, and as they, as the lock was turning, the camera rotated around oh, uh, cool. it. So just some really interesting, you know, visually to watch, um, which really surprised me considering, you know, it's just another comedy as people would say so sure. yeah interesting film for people to go and have a look at especially if you're interested in kind of visuals and cinematography it's uh, one to have a little look at i think sounds great yeah i'll have to give that a watch i've not seen it myself but it sounds very interesting well there we go that's uh, what we've been watching this week So now it's time for Movie of the Week. This week we're talking about Flash Gordon. Um, it's the 40th anniversary, so recently they came out with a 4K remaster at the end of August. Um, they've obviously scanned in the film, remastered it, released special 4K uh, Blu-ray releases and, and Ultra HD and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we've had a chance to uh, make a purchase and have a look at it. So we, we had a watch of it recently. What did you think, Greg? Oh yeah, I love it. Really great film, as you can tell. Flash Gordon fan, uh, absolutely <laughs> great fun movie. Um, one from my childhood, obviously, with that kind of era of um, Star Wars and um, Buck Rogers and all those other kind of uh, space operas making a comeback in the late 70s, early 80s. Flash Gordon was always a favorite. So I really enjoyed it as a kid, but looking at it as a as a fully grown adult, um, I still enjoy it as a kid. Um, it's you know, it's what's not to like in there. You've got um, all a, a great cast because you obviously got Sam J. Jones uh, played played Flash. He was a bit of a relative unknown at the time, um, but you've got all these other great um, stars in the supporting cast that you know, most notably probably uh, Max von Sydow as um, Ming the Merciless. You got Timothy Dalton in there as Prince Baron, who would become James Bond later on. You've got the amazing Brian Blessed with his with his famous line "Gordon's alive" uh, <laughs> as uh, Voltan the Hawkman. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's such a such a great fun movie. Um, didn't do very well at the time. Did okay over here in the UK, but um, internationally didn't do a great box office. But kind of made its clawed its way back afterwards as a kind of a cult hit um you know i mean the um set uh costume designer on it um danilo donati he he was you know did all those lavish colors it was kind of inspired by the comic book and everything so uh it's kind of hailed as a as a great camp classic now um 
because it's just over the top in so many ways and very tongue-in-cheek in, in, in a lot of senses, whereas Star Wars takes itself very seriously. Flash Gordon seems to be a little bit more of a, you know, a parody of itself in some ways. One thing I noticed watching it back, because it is a great picture on the 4K um, a Redux, it, it looks gorgeous, but one thing I noticed was all those, um, the comic montage at the start, where you've got all those different um, shots of the actual comic book Flash Gordon, reminded me of basically that's what the MCU have lifted for their, you know, they have their ident at the start of the Marvel oh, films. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, we even do a similar kind of thing at the start of our show here, but that I think is inspired by uh, the original Flash Gordon film, where they used the Alex Raymond's original comic book art to to really let the audience know this is what you're in for. This is a comic book film. Yeah, I love it. I mean, what about you? Do do you have a history with this film? Because obviously you're a bit younger than me, and I don't know whether you saw it when you were a kid or what. Yeah, um, obviously a bit younger, so I didn't, you know, it wasn't a film uh, growing up in that kind of sense um, that I was massively into. I had seen it as a kid, uh, and obviously I've seen it since. Um, It's a great film, you know, it's kind of, as you say, it's a camp classic, it's one of them cult films that um, it's fun because it doesn't take itself too seriously, Mm -hmm. I think, and that's that's what's really great about it. Um, But I think watching it this time was um, much more of a treat than I've ever had before because I think in previous versions it's not looked so great. No. Um, and I think they've they've done a remarkable job here. They've scanned the original 35mm negative. They've turned it into 4K files. They've done over 500 fixes to you know manually clean up different things and um, digitally removed strings and wire work and stuff. So it, they've done a real job on it. But what's really great is uh, obviously now with the technology we've got and all the ways we can watch it, the the great thing about the cinematography of Flash Gordon, I think, um, is the saturated colours. As you say, it's obviously based on the comics and so you've got these really bright colours. And I think in previous versions, just for technology reasons, it didn't look so great. Um, it was kind of washed out or, or looked overdone. And this time they've really got the colours down. It looks really nice. It's not too saturated. Um, so it was a real joy to watch for the first time. Um, great costumes, as you say, that were in the film and stuff just look so much better um, for all the colours and stuff. So I think it's far more interesting a film to watch uh, at this point. Uh, this is how it was intended to be, I think. Yeah. And, of course, Queen's fantastic soundtrack in there that's been remastered to the T, you know. It just sounded superb as well. That's- Yeah, uh, fantastic. I mean, that that's to me is the cherry on the cake. People talk about John Williams' um, score for Star Wars being half the movie and stuff. I also think Queen deserve a lot of respect for their work on this. As a, I think it was mainly Brian May. I've seen an interview with him on YouTube talking about you know he had a quite a vested interest in doing it, and he he used to enjoy Flash Gordon the Buster Crab cereals as a kid and stuff. So he was really into it and excited by it. And it was a good challenge for him at the time to kind of, um, you know, cause they do a lot of the incidental music and stuff as well. But um, yeah, it's just classic stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's like you say, it's a film doesn't take itself too seriously. It does tread that line between sort of, um, you know, farce and also action adventure. 
Yeah, but um, I mean that was that was a sort of a hot potato in terms of the production because um, Dino De Laurentiis, who who was the you know the famous Hollywood producer, the, the Italian guy there, um, he he wanted it to be a bit more fun and a bit more comedy in it, and other people were saying no, we shouldn't do that. We sh- it should be a bit more you know straight down the line. So what resulted was something that's it's it's not one thing or the other a hundred percent but with that kind of source material i think you know you can't take it too seriously it's all ridiculous no you know there's um they crashed that plane at the start into han sarkoff's lab next thing he's pulling a a gun on them isn't he he's like get inside get inside the space rocket (laughs) and you're thinking what what's going on there this guy's a psycho the next thing they're uh they're best friends with him and uh you know they're all on the mission together to save Earth, but uh, yeah, really, really great picture. Really nice to see in 4K. Um, yeah, enjoyed it. Okay, it's that uh, time of the show where we go over to our favorite olive oil salesman from New York City, Don Vito Corleone, who's got another spin on whatever film he's been watching this week. So, without further ado, take it away, Don Corleone. Hello. This is Don Corleone, and I'm here with another film review for the Cinema Plus Podcast. This week's movie is called One-Eyed Jacks. It's a western, my favorite type of movie. This is about a bunch of dirty cops who rub banks. Here they are. Particularly this guy. Handsome fella, isn't he? He likes to eat jewelry and wave his gun in old ladies' faces, because then they will fear you. So everything's going well for the family. We're all smiling and having a good time. Life's pretty good. Then one day, uh, some meatball starts trouble down at the local saloon. So what do you do with a meatball? Bash, bash, bosh, bang. Guy goes down like a sack of spaghetti. Doesn't learn his lesson though. Tries to pull a fast one. Look at this, bang. This guy is toast. I taught my son Santino to fight like that. So anyway, this is a movie about shots. Look at this beautiful shot of the sea. A beautiful shot of the desert. And a beautiful shot from a 45. These guys are all playing cards together late at night. Somebody says the wrong thing. Get up, you scum-sucking pig. Throws that table away like it was a toothpick. This guy here is incredibly intimidated. Wouldn't you be? So he says goodbye to his friend and this bastard, he shoots him dead on the beach, whacks him. Terribly sad. Of course, they pin the blame on our hero. Has to go to jail. Taken in by the rest of the dirty cops like this redneck here. Who kick his ass down the stairs where he belongs. So he's in the slammer, wondering what he did wrong. He asks the old sheriff, uh, have leniency and bust him out. But they leave him in there to rot. Look at this guy. He'd tear his face off if he had the chance, right? So, I just wanted to point out this shot, which is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Just look at those waves. Absolutely incredible. So, he ends up kicks this guy's ass, has a gunfight with the sheriff in the town square. Watch out, sheriff. He's behind you. That's the Chicago way. 
that looks like the end of the movie for this week. Join us again next week. I give this one one, two, three, four, five Coleomis. Maximum score. Hope you enjoyed my review. Thanks, Don. Well, that was an interesting take on it there. Yeah, quite uh, something familiar about that guy in that film as well. Uh, but yeah, very good. And now it's time for movie news, where we talk about what's happening in the world of cinema this week. Um, this week, we've actually had a bit of a question from one of our listeners, uh, Alex Nagad, who's asked us just to answer a question for him and, and talk about something that's come up this week. Um, he was asking about the temporary closing of Odeon, reducing to weekends and Cineworld temporarily closing, and uh, what we think the short and medium term future for, for cinemas is, really. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, to be honest, uh, with the digital age being what it is, cin cinema theatres have been in trouble for quite a long time now because of the changes in the way that we consume uh, films and other media. Um, you know, they've, IMAX has helped because that's kind of a big pull in some ways. They still got versions of 3D. I don't know whether that works or not. You know, the, and I always see those as attempts to get, you know, footfall, get people into the cinemas as new gimmicks, stuff that you can't offer when you're watching stuff on a screen at home. You know, this is the appeal uh, for some people to go to the cinema. So, you know, there's been they've been struggling for a while something like this that's happened with the pandemic i'm not surprised that uh you know i mean look how many times we've gone this year we've gone once we usually go at least once a month usually yeah. to see to see the big films anyway we love it we love going we haven't been able to go this year we've gone once to see tenet and even that was uh, i th i felt was a bit of a risky affair um i'm not sure i'd rush back uh you know knowing now what what we know about the pandemic being on the rise again and some of these films are choosing to have their premieres online you know and and they get released either via you know whatever netflix or whoever has got the uh, rights for it uh and, and people are just watching them watching them at home and if people got too used to doing something like that then Oh God, yeah. I mean, these these cinemas would be closing down, which would be a, a great shame. I mean, the way I see it, as soon as this thing's over, this pandemic, no one's going to be spending any time at home because we've been yeah. we've been so isolated in our own homes. Once it's safe again, people are going to want to come out. They're going to want to go to the cinema. They're going to want to go to bars. They're going to want to socialize and mix and mingle and be outside. So it's just a question of getting through it, as far as I, I'm concerned. But what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the kind of thing in terms of, um, obviously, feel very sorry for the people who are going to be laid off, most of all. That's obviously um, the, the, the biggest area. And obviously, we need the government and stuff to step in and help these people out, obviously, who are going to be unemployed now um, because of the closures. But I can understand why the businesses are doing it. Obviously, they've got to think about the long term stability and future of the, the companies you know the cinemas you know and uh, we do want them to stay around because i think cinemas are very important um, yeah. 
you know, um, I, I wouldn't like to see a kind of, oh, everything's just digital now, because I think certain films are very important to see on the big screen. They're designed for the cinema, and yeah. it's a social experience as well. You know, it's not just uh, the film. It's the whole yeah. uh, part of, of going and, and all the different elements. And uh, But I don't, I think, obviously, the news always makes things out worse than it is, um, by the seams of things in a lot of cases. Uh, the boss of View came out this week and said, They'll be fine. Obviously, they're making cost-cutting reductions and stuff, mm. but um, they just need more movies and they can open again, you know, and obviously a lot of the movies have been put back. So I think they've got enough money and capital and, and stuff to, to, to you know, keep going. It's more worrying if you look across the pond, I think, to America. Uh, we've saw that AMC, the biggest chain across there, is uh, allegedly mere months away from uh, liquidation, which is a bit more worrying um, that such a huge chain goes, but... Probably I think that, you know, I, 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 I have less um, room in my heart to feel sorry for the big companies that, than I do for the small independent places. I mean, I live here in a rural area and, and there's, there is a local cinema that's about nine, nine miles away and it's, it's completely independent. It's, it's part of an arts center. So they put on different things there as well, um, you know, theatre productions and musicals and they have talks there and they've got the cinema there as well. But I, I really feel for them because they're the kind of places that, you know, any prolonged period of having no footfall whatsoever, they really are going to suffer and they're going to be on the brink of closing down. And if we lose these independent places, we lose so much more than just... A, a movie theatre. Well, the, the good news to come out of it, though, the Guardian put out an article um, last week, um, which actually was was great news for independent cinemas. It seems that actually the numbers are going up at independent cinemas because the big multiplexes are closing. They're showing more old films or art house films, independents, and obviously people are then going to go watch that because there is no alternative. That is great news. Uh, That's great which news. is great news, really. Yeah, definitely. It's good to hear that. Well, there's the thing, and I think people should make an effort to support their local independent places because you're gonna, you might not go and see, you know, the the latest IMAX release there or something because they're not kitted out for it. But you will see some really interesting stuff. Absolutely, and of course, if you don't want to leave the house, there's over a hundred years of cinema you can watch, yeah. you know, on Netflix or Amazon or something. So yeah. there's, there's plenty to watch. Well, that's what there, we've been know. doing. We've been catching up on a hell of a lot of films over, you know, that we'd missed for one reason or another over the years. And So there we go. Out, out of the darkness comes the light. There's plenty of opportunity. And I think in the end, it'll all turn out all right. Let's hope so. May the force be with us. <laughs> Let's get ready to film. Fight! Okay, it's the film fight. Put your dukes up. Get ready for it. Dave and I are going to go head-to-head over uh, a film that one of us hates and one of us loves. This week, we're talking about the Superman films, and that could be any of the Superman films that have been made over the years. Obviously, I'm a fan. I always like Superman. Dave, unfortunately, is not. So... Dave, I'm going to give you one minute exactly to tell me why you hate the Superman films. So, Superman, yeah, I just don't get it. Uh, to me, it just seems so daft and silly. Um, I'm not a comic book fan, and I can't say I have intricate knowledge of Superman to, to clarify everything. Um, but to me, he's just a protagonist with no fallibility, and that's just boring. Um 
is you know a demigod, an invincible being who can do anything. Um, and so in that situation, for me, the only interesting story is his origin, telling him how he came to be. Once you kind of get past that, there's nothing interesting to tell about Superman. He's just, oh, he can do anything with no danger and, you know, he's not in peril at any time because he's this invincible being, this superhero. Um, and in a way, you know, I read an interesting quote that he's not really a superhero. Uh, you know, how can he be a hero? And uh, it was interesting because... Yeah, heroes are brave, selfless people that make sacrifices. He doesn't really make a sacrifice because he's never in danger. He's never in peril. And um, your minute um, is up. That's it. Ding, well, ding. Round is go. over. Now we're going to switch round, and I get one minute to rebuttal your defend remarks it. and defend Superman. So here we go. Right. So to take up your point about him being infallible, he's not infallible. There is a, such a thing called kryptonite that if, if you manipulate it in one way or another and stick it in his grill, this guy, he gets, he's, do you know what I mean? He's like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the first film, but they make, they have this like necklace of kryptonite that they put around his uh, neck and he's like, oh, and he falls in the swim pool and this woman has to dive in and Miss Tessmacher and she gets it off him and then he's, yeah. Okay, yes, he is. He has kind of got all the superpowers that you could possibly wish for. He's got the laser eyes, he can fly, he's got ultimate strength, he's impenetrable for any kind of bullets or, or tank shells or anything like that. Nothing can get him. He's also, like, morally the, the, the most perfect person you, you could wish for. But um, Superman's like, like the ultimate superhero. How, how could you not love him? And there you go, There's my that's my minute. Ding, ding. So now this is where we get into the fight. This is this this is where you know it's open season now. We can just duke it out. I mean, many times over the years, this has come up. This is why it's the f subject of our first film fight. When I've mentioned Superman, I particularly like the Christopher Reeve Superman films, uh, especially the first three. Um, but and you've always turned your nose up. Oh, I don't like Superman, and and I was like, Dave, <laughs> what, what's going on? So. You know what is going on there? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of uh, comic books. Um, generally speaking, I'm not a big fan of superheroes. I, I find them so kind of generic and too goody two shoes uh, for me. I obviously I like Batman. Um, I think he's probably one of the most, one of the only uh, interesting comic book characters. Uh, I think because of that humanity and fallibility in him, that um, you know he's um, he's just like one of us kind of thing. When your main character's too power, powerful and perfect in a way, um, I, I just find it quite boring and I, 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 it just doesn't ring a bell with me. And his costume, I mean, it's the It's the coolest, ridiculous coolest costume. costume you've ever seen in your life. The oh, red, come on, who wears you know, pants over? Oh, this is the thing. Is. They've got rid of it with the Henry Cavill incarnation. No red pants over the top. It's like, Ugh. get out of here. Where's the red Speedos? You need the red Speedos. It's the that's the power position when he puts his hands on his hips and it's like check out my red speedos now I'm gonna knock you into oblivion. I mean Ugh. Christopher Reeve played him so well and it's not just when 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 an actor plays a character like this. It's same with Batman. They're not just playing the the superhero. They're playing their alter ego, and Christopher Reeve did such a good job at playing. Uh, Clark Kent uh, at the beck and call of Lois Lane. He's constantly trying to impress her. Uh, 
but he's really a bit of a nerd and he's you know he's wearing his glasses and but the the beauty of that is that we know really underneath all that he is this perfect um, not human being but he's this perfect being that can do all these amazing things but he's he's hiding that all inside this very human character um just i just can't understand uh, if if you hated all other superhero films but you said but I do love the Superman films. I'd be like, well, yeah, I'll give you that, but there's not even, not even an inch there. What about no, the modern really. ones? Do you like the Henry Cavill incarnation? Or I think they're even worse, to be honest. They <laughs> are. They are worse. I agree with you on that. We can. I mean, I mean, superheroes in general. I've never really, just say, never bought into them. Really, um, I find them so kind of distant. Um, well, one thing you might be interested in is The Boys, which is currently on Amazon um, Prime as a series. And and basically what that does, it's kind of like uh, The Watchmen in a way. It turns that whole idea of being a superhero on its head. And there's a, just to, to cut all the rest out, you can check it out if you want, but there's, there's a central character called Homelander. And he basically is Superman. He can... He can fly, he's got the laser eyes, he's got the ultimate strength, he's impervious to any bullets or anything, but he is also a psychopathic <laughs> and, you know, does incredibly uh, evil things in secret. And his personality was as, as flawed as the rest of our personalities are, and he was like an egomaniac and an absolute psychopathic, you know. <laughs> this is what it would be like. So in that sense, it might peel to your you know disposition in that sense that he's not perfect and he's actually a, a real piece of work might have to give it a try yeah just, <laughs> just watch the trailer and see what you think but it's definitely yeah. the uh you know the antithesis of what superman stands for in ter terms of like truth justice the american way and all that this guy's pretending to stand for all that but he's actually uh a son of a anyway that's the end of our film fight this week we'll let our viewers decide whether you know Superman Who's is a, right. is well, yeah, Superman's a good thing or not. Um, obviously, leave us some comments. Let us know your thoughts. And uh, yeah, that's it. I'll uh, we'll duke it out again next week on uh, on another topic. Okay, it's time again for the movie quiz. Uh, this week we're doing something a little bit different. Um, I've picked out some still images from some films over the years. We've got ten of them, and uh, we're going to bring them up one at a time, and Greg's going to have a guess and see if he can work out which film it is. Feel free to play along at home. Uh, let us know your scores in the comments below afterwards, uh, but no cheating. Okay. So, Greg, are you ready? I am ready, sir. Right, let's cue them up. Number one. Oh, Christopher Eccleston. He's got some combat fatigues on there. Is this... Well, it's not Shallow Grave, is it? No. Is it uh, 28 Days Later? Correct. Ooh. It's 28 Days Later. That was hard, man. That was really hard. <laughs> to rack my brains on that one. Okay. Yeah. Number two. Oh, God. Come on. That could be from anything. Just a mouth. Um, eyes wide shut. Oh, well, right director. Oh, really? Hang on then, let me have a second guess. Oh, is that um, Dave out of uh, 2001 Space Odyssey? It is, it's 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, yeah, I only got it because of your clue. 
Okay, question three. Ah, there's Nicole. That's Batman Forever. Correct. Number four. Number four, one of my favorite films ever. The fantastically uh, crazy David Lynch with uh, Blue Velvet. Correct. Love that film. Okay, number five. Mm. Does this that J.J. Abrams think because of the lens flare? Um, Super 8. Correct. <laughs> I, I haven't actually seen that film, but I know what it's about. And that lens flare gives it away as J.J. Abrams thing. I kind of left a, a, a clip with a, a lens flare <laughs> in just as a clue. Perfect. Really. <laughs> it's the only thing that give it away for me. But yeah. Um, okay, Very number good. six. Oh, hello. That's uh, our good friend, Michael Sheen. Um, it's not the one where he plays Cluffy, is it? It is. It is. Oh, what was it called? It wasn't called Clough, was it? No, uh, no. I don't remember the title, but I remember the film. It's uh, The Damned United. Oh, The Damned United. Great film. Great performance by Sheen. Really loved by Brian Clough as well uh, as a sort of um, historical sports figure. Very en- very entertaining. Okay, uh, number seven. Oh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Classic. Okay, number eight. <laughs> What the? Oh, I I feel like I know that. That's really hard, Dave. Really difficult <laughs> on this. Somebody buried in the mud like that. I don't know. I'm gonna have to pass on that one. Okay, that's the thin red line. Ah, that's that's a that's a difficult one. Well done. You got me there. Number nine. Number nine is True Romance, of course. Christian Slater there. And number ten. War of the Worlds with our favourite actor of all time, <laughs> Tom Cruise. How are you doing, Tom? <laughs> Good old Tom. Yeah. Well, at least we didn't get taken out after last week's rant, so we're still here. Well, so. we've both joined the Scientology ever since. We're both now official Scientology, uh, I don't know what you'd call us, disciples, I suppose. And we've made our Gurus. peace with Mr. Cruise and with the church, and we're all for it. <laughs> Uh, there we go. Not too bad then. Um, no, not bad. I think I got a couple wrong or just didn't know. But that was that was a good quiz, man. That was really hard. Yeah. That one with just the mouth is like, come on, what the hell? <laughs> Could have been anything. There we go. Well, not too bad. Let us know your scores in the comments below. And uh, we'll have another quiz again next week. Okay, we got another uh, new section. For the, for the show this week. This is top fives. So each week we're going to go through our top five of certain films of, uh, of different genres. This week's topic is westerns. So rolling in at number five, Young Guns 2. Ooh, very good choice. Emilio Estevez and the rest of the Brat Pack. I really, uh, I always enjoyed that one. Uh, I've got at number five, The Searchers. 1956. Got to be in there somewhere, hasn't it? I think that's the kind of peak level of uh, John Wayne and John Ford. Just yeah, absolutely influential film. Okay, so at number four, I've got the classic Shane. Oh, very I don't know good. If you've seen that or not? Yeah, I have, yes. Um, but uh, that's for me is one of the best westerns ever made. It is. It's almost an archetypal western in terms of you know that particular kind of story of, of the stranger coming to town and taking care of the bad guys because the uh, good townsfolk are just not able to 
compete with the malevolence of, of such uh, nasty characters. It takes a hero to come in and clean them up. I mean, Shane is the ultimate example of that, I, I think. So I've got that in there. What did you have at number four? Really good choice. Yeah, um, I've gone for Unforgiven from oh, 1992. That's such a great film. Great piece. You know, later, Clint Eastwood, you know, much darker, kind of harsher um, take on the Western, I think, Um and it's when that kind of the, the more modern western started to come out a bit and um, change yeah. the game really. Number three, I got the Searchers. We've already covered that. There so we go. There we go. That's done in there. Well, I've for number three, I've gone for Once Upon a Time in the West. Nice. Which Leone. for me is Leone's best. Um, you know, uh, well, it's certainly best um, in that period. I, I, obviously, I love Once Upon a Time in America as well kind of the third in that kind of trilogy, as they call it. Um, but the best score from Morricone in that, you know. I just, I, I find it a really interesting film because it turns the conventions of American Westerns really on its head. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a very dark film and a great turn from Henry Fonda as a, as a villain. Uh, talking in about playing against type, that that is the ultimate example. Exactly. Perfect film. Those icy blue eyes and just... A, a completely vicious and disgusting character in in Frank. You've also got the great Charles Bronson as harmonica. Oh yes, um, yeah, it's, it's stunning. It's good fun. Jason Robards in there as well, who later did uh, Fistful of Dynamite. Yeah, great film. Uh, number two, my choice was Once Upon a Time in the West. So there we go. That was my number two slot. What was in yours? Uh, for me, I've gone for Tombstone from 1993. Oh yes, now. There is a movie. Excellent movie. Ensemble cast, you know, Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer. Uh, really stylish. Powers uh, Booth. Western, I think. Michael Bean yeah. as the bad guys. Really great film. Back in the day, when it was, when it was released, they, Kevin Costner also did his own version of the Wyatt Earp story, which was just called Wyatt Earp. And that was like an epic, expansive, you know, three-hour Western that kind of did his whole life from when he was a young lad to you know, right up towards the end before he died because um, he lived quite a long time. He lived into the 20th century, Wyatt Earp. Um, I believe John Wayne actually met him once or the, or so legend has it. John Wayne met Wyatt Earp at some point. I don't know how true that was, but um, I used to prefer the Costner version and Dennis Quaid did this amazing performance as him and i used to love that film but years later i watched them both together and i came back i came out on the side of tombstone in the end because it's just such a great film it's so much fun and you know they're both essentially a similar film the main thing being the gunfight at the okay corral and everything but um yeah tombstone is mighty fine film fantastic okay and for our number one westerns i have got what I consider to be Sergio Leone's greatest film, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Ah, fantastic is, choice. of course, you know, everybody's uh, probably most recognisable Western. You've got the uh, uh, theme tune there, you know, that famous uh, call, and um, Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, and really it's, um, you know, Eli Wallach's best role as Tico is so cool in it. I mean, he's great in The Magnificent Seven and he's great in The Godfather Three, and he's great in everything he ever does. He's like, well, look, he's, he's just one of those underrated, fantastic actors. But as Tico in The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. <laughs> 
it's certainly one of the films that that set the the stall really and yeah it's landmark piece really what did you have at number one well i've gone for the film that started it all um you know a lot of people reference it i've gone for stagecoach oh yeah another john from wayne. 1939 yeah. john wayne john ford is kind of their first uh coming together now for me this is the film that set the standard for westerns uh, sure. going forward it's a superbly directed film that i mean what they managed to pull off, this is 1939, and you look at the horse chase sequences and the stunts and stuff like that, and you think, wow, how they managed to do this. It is a classic. John Wayne in the White Hat. I mean, this is the thing. When we were in film school, we did that sort of compare and contrast exercise uh, using Stagecoach as the man in the white hat and then the searchers as the man in the black hat. And it's a really interesting thing to kind of study and to look at as two different characters of the same sort of genre. So, uh, 10 really great Westerns there. That for, well, actually uh, it probably well, wasn't probably 10 because we had, yeah, a couple of them were doubled up, but yeah. Uh, tell us but, what, let us know what were the ones we missed out. Your favorite Westerns. Tell us what we got wrong. Not a problem. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what your favorite westerns are what your top five are put them in the comments below or come and say hello on twitter and tell us that and uh, if you haven't seen any of them we recommend you just go and watch them they're really really great films uh, to talk into and now we come to shorts and shout outs the part of the show where we discuss independent cinema and short films and give a shout out to other people in the film community and um, this week we just wanted to talk about a film called funeral for lightning um it's by emily kai bock it's an interesting film it's a this idea of living off grid which is one of the things that's kind of been appealing to many people lately you know this follows a young couple who kind of opt in for that you know basic lifestyle and want to live in that idyllic situation and it follows this uh, character mandy it's told from her perspective um and it's kind of a leisurely paced film but um it's really interesting as it kind of develops to show mandy's despair of the situation um and how she feels trapped by her husband who doesn't really seem as committed to the idea as he as he first gives out it's shot beautifully um it's done on 70 mil um use a lot of natural light um which i think pays off because it kind of gives this grounded reality and grittiness to it but it shows off this despair of well it's not always greener on the other side so really great film it's up on vimeo it's been at international film festivals and stuff um, and we recommend yeah just go check it out we'll put a link in the description below for you to have a look at that's cool uh, i haven't seen that myself so i'll be checking it out um sounds really good when you're talking about off-grid sort of living, it reminded me of that film Leave No Trace, which uh, mm. I did a review for on our website, moremovies.co.uk, if you wanted to go and check that review out there. But that was that's similar topic, the, uh, you know, the benefits, but also the pitfalls of attempting to live that kind of lifestyle. So, yeah, we'd like to give a shout-out to our usual crowd on Twitter. We've got Skip Bolden, Liam Jackson, Tico Romeo, Daniel Marley, Rosemary... All of our friends there on Film Twitter, give a shout out as well to Alex Nagad and Glenn Gare, our friends there. Uh, thanks for watching, guys. Thanks for your feedback. And yeah, um, come and join us on Twitter at More Movies 4. Uh, we like to um, talk about movies there 24-7 as we uh, advertise it. So uh, come and say hello and yeah, let's all enjoy movies together.
okay, now it's medication time, gentlemen. It's medication time. It's red pill, blue pill. And this is where I give Dave a nice uh, list of options to choose from. Uh, and this week's topic is one of your favorite cinema topics is uh, Christopher Nolan. So Ooh. are we ready with red pill, blue pill, Dave? Let's go for it. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Inception or Tenet? Oh, Inception. Cobb or the protagonist? The protagonist. Michael Caine or Kenneth Branagh? Michael Caine. You're only supposed to blow the bloody dose up. <laughs> uh, Tom Berenger or Eric Roberts? Eric Roberts. The Prestige or Memento? Ooh, I'm actually going to go for The Prestige. Dunkirk or Interstellar? Um, oh, Interstellar. Katie Holmes or Maggie Gyllenhaal? Maggie Gyllenhaal. Insomnia or Batman Begins? Insomnia. The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Rises? The Dark Knight, of course. Of course. Uh, Matthew McConaughey or Leonardo DiCaprio? I'll go with Leonardo. Uh, Robert Pattinson or Tom Hardy? Robert Pattinson. Al Pacino or Robin Williams? Robin Williams. Marianne Cotillard or Anne Hathaway? I'll go with Anne Hathaway. Christian Bale or Hugh Jackman? Christian Bale. Is uh, is a tough one for you to end up. Uh, we've got Christopher Nolan or Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, 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 that's making me squirm, that one. <laughs> um, I have to go for the master and go for Hitchcock. Christopher Nolan or Martin Scorsese? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go for Nolan. And to finish us up, Christopher Nolan or Stanley Kubrick? Uh, Nolan. <laughs> Get out of here, Nolan. <laughs> there we go. That's your pills. Take your pills and get the hell out of here, Pilgrim. Well, that was hard. Oh, those last few. Oh, well, we can't make so it too choose. easy for you, can we? Exactly. It's got to be difficult. Join us again next week for more red pills and blue pills. Well, that's all we got time for. Thanks for joining us again here on The Movie Show. I've been David Roberts, and that's been Greg Fisher. Um, feel free to follow us on Twitter at moremovies 4 Come say hello to us at moremovies.co.uk to see our film reviews and articles. And remember to subscribe and press the bell icon for notifications right here on YouTube. And join us again next week for more on the Cinema Plus podcast. <laughs>